Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. Today, really good episode with one of the hosts of the Pick One Team Podcast, Maeve, stopped by to talk about this season's, right now, President's Trophy frontrunners, the Colorado Avalanche. This was a really good discussion that paints a pretty deep picture about what the constant expectation of winning does to a team that everybody has been patient with. They Everybody kind of assumed they'd have to take their playoff lumps like everybody else did before they made a sustained cup final run and ended up winning. Now, they've had a few playoff appearances in a row now, gone in the second round a couple times. They've had injury problems. They've had Nazem Kadri get suspended. They've had goaltending capitulation. They've ran into hot goalies. They've gone through the gambit of frustrating playoff exits. Today's episode centered about what the Avalanche are at the present moment. What makes them so consistently this good, where they're amongst the best teams in the entire league in terms of both results and underlying metrics, where you marry those two things together, you get a strong profile of a dominant two-way team that can impose its will on its opponents, play multiple types of styles. The Avalanche are a really good team. But before I get to today's conversation with Maeve, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Number one, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Unsubscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. All that good stuff. Number two, if you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave the show a review. Once you've subscribed on Apple Podcasts, hitting that plus sign in the top right corner on the show's page, you scroll down to the bottom, past our recent episodes, there's going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right, that's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please, please, please take the time to leave the show a review. That helps me out immensely. As I always say, please leave reviews for other shows you enjoy too, not just this podcast. Any reviews you leave content creators are greatly appreciated. So, with all of that said, I will see you guys on the other side of the drop with Maeve, and we're going to talk about the Last Dance Colorado Avalanche. And with that, I am very happy to welcome to the show to talk about the Colorado Avalanche. She is one of the co-hosts of the Pick One Team podcast. How are we doing, Maeve? Uh, I am great. Uh, it is snowing here in Denver, but, you know, I love some snow. We love some snow. <laughs> it's been a very dry winter here, and when it has snowed, it's only been like an inch or two. So I, right now, I'm I'm not angry at the snow, but it hasn't become a nuisance yet. So hopefully another week or two we're kind of out of the woods with snow and we don't have to worry about it till the fall again oh denver has the weirdest weather um it was 65 all of last week yeah it was like in the low the low 70s here the other day so definitely been a very weird couple weeks of weather doesn't know where fall spring has been weird this year yeah they're really like they're yeah they're like the seasons just don't like each other today i don't know it's Denver does this all the time. Last year, it was like sunny and in the 60s for three weeks, and then it snowed right before we had to move out. So I was like, so late April. It was the last week of April. I was like, we're going to snow right when you're moving out. <laughs> I'm like, that's really great. Uh, just weird weather. <laughs> so when I have people on for the first time, I usually like to get to feel them out a little bit, understand where they come from, what their background with sports is. So I can kind of understand how you think about it because your initial points, how you view it is where you grow from, where you get your opinions from. So 
the first question I naturally have to ask is what's the relationship with sports been like in your life? Yeah. So I'm actually from a huge baseball family. Um, my dad played through high school. My brother is on his varsity team. Shout out to my brother. He's a senior now. Um, I played softball for a while. Uh, and so I grew up a Dodgers and an Angels fan. I'm from San Diego, but my dad was raised in LA and Anaheim area. So I was raised a Lakers fan. I was raised to be a 49ers fan. Now we like the Rams because they're back in LA, but <laughs> I was raised with more like my dad's sports teams, which were he liked the 49ers because the Rams left LA. And then he liked the Dodgers and the Angels and the Lakers. And so that was what I was raised with. No hockey, was not raised with hockey. We did not watch hockey in my house. My parents, my dad will still tell me to shut it off and turn on something else usually. Um, so yeah, that's my background with sports. Uh, die hard, used to watch. Uh, you know, my dad raised me with a hatred of Boston sports because of the Lakers and Celtics. So you just, I used to, I used to, I like have distinct memories of being like, oh, what a Boston call, like eight years old in my dad's Shaq jersey. Like it just, it's a, you know, love of the game. <laughs> So how did you stumble into hockey then? So I went to a um, college prep school, which like all weird private schools, we had weird sports for our area. So we had a hockey team and we were actually quite good. Uh, that didn't really get me into hockey though. It kind of just made me aware of the sport. And then I was home alone one day and like nothing was on. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I ended up just like watching a game. I think it was like Nashville versus Dallas or something weird. And I was like, this is kind of cool. <laughs> and it was like probably the most boring game. I think it was two to one in the end or something ridiculous like that. But I still was like, this is kind of cool though. Like it's a little chaotic. I kind of love it. So that's how I got into hockey. Um, I like, yeah, that, that's how I got into hockey. <laughs> what, what about hockey resonated with you to the point where now you do content with it? Um, I don't know. It's just always like, I've looked at it and it's something about it's been like, you know, like I always describe it as like something like itching your brain. Yeah. But it's like something about hockey just like itches my brain. Um, it just makes sense. It clicks. Um, I if I like, I, I was like trying to write down some some answers to what I think about hockey, and I was like, it's so chaotic yet structured, yeah. so simple yet complex. And I was like, wow, what a really nerdy way to say that you like hockey, mate. Like Jesus. But like I think I do. It appeals to me. Like its complexities, kind of this sport that is so based in luck, but also skill factors into it too. And where it's just very different from all the other team sports and also so different from baseball, which is what I, I knew best when I became a hockey fan. Um, so I think that transition and also different than like of the contact sports I knew, I knew like I didn't know like well, obviously, but like I'd watched football with my dad before. Um, and so, but I liked it more because it was a faster pace. They didn't stop as often. And that's why I tell my dad still, he's like, why don't you like football? Like they, you know, crash into people like hockey. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like it's, they stop all the time. They stop so much. And my dad's like that, that's why you don't like it. But yeah, it's so slow. They stop all the time. <laughs> it's so, yeah. an interesting way to think about it. I mean, hockey is controlled chaos. It's it probably, it's the most free flowing of the four major sports and even in soccer where it's probably the least structured. It's not like in basketball where you're going to have your set plays where you want to get the ball to a specific person, baseball, where you have, you know, a batting order or football, where you have a design who's supposed to get the ball. Hockey is very free flowing where you have weird things like, you know, the third pair lefty just firing a shot because he's got a decent look at it. And it's so much more about what the other team is giving you as opposed to what the other sports are, because it's so hard to have things schemed out ahead of time like you can in yeah. the other sports just because of the nature of it. So I definitely agree with you on that in terms of just it's 
controlled chaos is the way I like to describe it. It's it's the tweet that goes viral every single time, the first playoff game that goes to overtime, the why would I watch playoff overtime hockey when I could ride a motorcycle out of a helicopter while doing cocaine? That, <laughs> it, that That's the perfect way to describe it. It's raw energy. And the, the greatest way I've had success with kind of casually converting people is just going to a game. You don't have an appreciation for how fast hockey is on TV until you go in person. And even people who don't really like hockey, if you take them to a game, they they understand it a little bit better because it's just so much faster. Yeah, I, I feel that way about baseball, honestly. I'm like, the thing yeah. about baseball is like, you can't watch it on TV. Like, I mean, you can. And I've obviously, I watched like all the Dodgers World Series one uh, runs and got heartbroken many years in a row, but then they finally did it. Woohoo! I was away from my whole family when it happened. So that was really sad. But um baseball is like such an atmosphere sport like that is a yeah. sport where you have to be there to like understand and appreciate it um I feel that way yeah I agree with you about hockey though I feel like every time I take someone to a live hockey game they're like oh my god this sport's great I'm gonna watch it forever yeah. and I'm like yeah yeah you don't it, you don't understand when you watch it on tv like just how amazing and the energy of the arena yeah um and the energy of like I think it's cool too, like the reaction of a fan, like fans won't lose their shit when a player gets slammed into the boards. Like yeah. objectively, nothing has like technically good has happened. Like there has been no <laughs> scoring. Like there's, you know, the other team has not been added to. It was just a hit, but people are like, yeah. And so I think that too, like you feel the electricity, you feel like the momentum of the game a lot more when you're in a building with other people. Yeah, the, that was one of the things that was weird about bubble hockey was it was just dead silent and the guys kind of had to find that energy themselves. And instead of jumping into the boards and having someone behind them in the frame banging on the boards after they scored, it was just empty seats with a tarp over them. And it, that was a very weird period in hockey. And it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed watching 13 hours a day of hockey. Like if we could do that again at some point in my life, I would really appreciate that. Watching hockey from noon to one in the morning. That was terrific. Nobody was outside. Everybody was just on Twitter. It was a great time to be alive. But the energy adds to it, especially now that it's looking like we're going to have close to full, if not full capacity back for everything in these playoffs. First time in two years, full capacity in pretty much every single arena. And that'll make a difference. That That'll be something that is exciting to look forward to because the crowd is part of a hockey game and it can make a little bit of a difference. Not to the same degree you see in football, but it matters to some degree. Yeah. And I think, you know, just for the viewing perspective, it matters yeah. so much. Like, again, if you were at a, a live hockey game, like being with the fans, it really helps. And even watching the game, you get fan antics and that's really yeah. fun. You can hear like, especially too, with like fan rituals, like yeah. each fan base has their little things. And that's like been such like, that's so amazing to kind of find out the little rituals that every fan base yeah. has. And, like they're, you know, when they score, what do they do? Uh, it's just like, I don't know. I think there's like so much to be earned in the fan experience um, yeah. that you don't get from watching them on TV. As fun as it is to watch on TV. Uh, my people who live next door to me, hear me screaming at Leafs games. So uh, they, they know that I can have fun watching on TV. <laughs> so what about the abs spoke to you? What about the abs spoke to your soul? So um, I'm kind of a funky one because like, personally, I became like, when I got into hockey, I became a Leafs fan. I didn't, San Diego doesn't have a team. And like, I didn't really feel any allegiance to the Kings or the Ducks. So I was like, eh. And then um, Austin Matthews came out of the same town my grandparents lived when I was growing up, Scottsdale. And so I was like, oh my God, this player is from a place I know. And so I ended up getting like being like following him. And then I fell in love with the Leafs, but I moved to Denver for college. 
And so I was kind of like, have always kind of had this perspective of, I loved the abs because they kind of were fun and like their players were just super likable. Like, I don't know if, I think they're one of them. I would say they're probably the most likable team in the NHL. Like, I feel like there's no one I've met who's like, oh, the abs are horrible. I hate them. Like, I've never met someone who hates the yeah, abs. That's a good point. I really, now that I'm thinking, I'm rattling around my brain, the only people I know of who dislike the abs are the people who dislike the certain sect of that fan base that's a little bit too online. Other than that, there really isn't, there really isn't anything to dislike about the ads as a team. No, no one dislikes them. Like, so I think I kind of was like, they'll be my bandwagon team, which of course I picked the worst bandwagon team because the team that I cheer for gets kicked out in the first round every year. And the team I bandwagon gets kicked out in the second round every year. So, um, so I was kind of like, Oh, I'll bandwagon them when I get to Denver and like, I'll bandwagon them, you know, if the Leafs get knocked out. And then I ended up deciding to switch my whole college career path. I wanted to be a lawyer when I came into college, um, realized that was not for me. It wasn't even a thing of like, I failed some classes. It was just kind of a, like, I don't think like this. Like, I don't like, I was like, I realized I was like, I hate debates. Like I hate (laughs) debating people. I hate it. I hate public speaking. And then I was like, why do I want to be a lawyer? (laughs) So it was kind of a moment of like, Hmm maybe I got about this wrong. So I ended up switching my whole path into wanting to do sports journalism. And so I went to my school paper and was like, Hey, I want to learn about hockey. Let me cover the avalanche. And they were like, yeah, sure. Go for it. We don't have anyone covering hockey, so you can do it. And I was like, cool, great. (laughs) So I started covering the avalanche. And so it became less of a fan relationship with the abs, but it is a very, I do very much admire them. If that makes sense. Like, it's like, I'm not definitely, I can't be like a full fan because I'm technically supposed to be kind of objective, but like there are players on the abs. I'm like, God, I wish you were on my team. Like, I'm so jealous that this team has you. And of course I am so, my Nazem Kadri bias is so high. Yeah. I, I miss him on the Leafs and every time, like, I'll literally like my favorite ab is Nazem Kadri, and I will not be ashamed of that. Like he is my favorite. Um, yeah. He's the one who I show the most bias towards. I will say I like, and I have to be careful with that sometimes. I'm like, some people don't, he's some, like, I, yeah, I definitely have had people I've met who've been like, there's a lot of blues fans at my school who do not like Nazem Kadri. Yeah. Yeah. With, with good reason, with good reason. So yeah. And I'm like, I know it's fair. Like I know he did things yeah. that weren't great. Like I yeah. can't defend a headshot. Like no one can. I'm so it's, it's cognitive dissonance. Like, please excuse my horrible Leafs bias. Like, what would you say the arc has been like as you've been covering the team, being around the team, just watching them in terms of what the trajectory has been like? Because now they were in a dark place. Like we talked about before we started recording that last year of Patrick Waugh, when they trade Matt Duchesne because he wants to go to a team that makes the playoffs, which is very funny in hindsight. <laughs> and they kind of really bottomed out. They took Bowen Byram. They really slowly but surely started curing all this talent. And now they have one of the best rosters, if not the best roster in the entire league. What's that arc been like? Um, I would say it's really, like, beautiful to see. I think the, the city of Denver itself, you will not, like, it's a really great sports city. I think almost an underratedly good sports city. People talk about good sports cities, and you hear a lot about, like, different ones. But I don't think I hear Denver mentioned nearly enough for how amazing of a sports city it is. These fans are loyal, and they're passionate. And we have like, there's a guy I met here, crazy story. He was like my Lyft driver. Shout out to him. Um, I don't, don't not remember his name, but he was super cool. He was from Quebec City. He was like, I was born in Quebec City. I grew up a Nordiques fan, moved to Ontario and then ended up in Denver. And now I'm an Avs fan. And like, you have these fans who have been fans of the Avalanche since they came to Denver. 
and mm-hmm. now are seeing their team get back to that how good they were when they won their cups when they were you know dominating and seeing that fan base like that's been I think the most impactful thing is the team finally getting good again has just reignited this like I don't know if reignited is the right word but you see it rewarded it's rewarded all those loyal fans who have were here since the beginning and it stuck by them so I think that's been really cool just to see like the fan base get so excited because this fan base really really is excited and they really have faith in this team and a, a lot of trust in the team too which you don't see with a lot of like good teams or like supposed cup favorites fan bases I might be projecting but I do feel like there's a confidence and a trust no. that, like get it done they've, they've done a good job under Joe Sackick in recognizing opportunities to improve the team when necessary I mean the one that really jumps out is adding Devontae's when they did oh. add, he's one of the most underrated players in the yeah. league and just we're gonna get to Devontae's in the actual I, team. I right have now. such a huge like my love of Devontae's, like my co-host on my podcast will tell you, I adore him. Like he's a player that you love more the more you watch him. Like every game I'd watch him and he'd do something and they'd be like that player. We'll talk more about him later. But yeah. Devontae's such a good ad. Kadri, such a good ad. Yeah. And getting rid of Tyson Berry. Like that is such at my own favorite team's expense. But I like I look at that and I'm like adding Kadri, great move great move like we'll see if he holds up but you know great move (laughs) yeah no and that's the thing and the abs are the perfect example of what you want your mid-market teams to be like and regardless of sport regardless of league denver is not one of the 10 biggest media markets in the nhl but they have an ownership group a front office that they realized they needed to kind of start back over again. They had some good identifiable pieces in Landis Gog and McKinnon, young Miko Rantanen, and they kind of realized they needed to fill out the rest of the roster. They needed to figure out defense. They needed to figure out goalie. And now that they have a bona fide strong core that's really good and pretty young, they've put more money into the team. They're spending to the cap where they only have about a million, million and a half in cap space at the moment. They've made steps every offseason to kind of tinker with the roster based on what went wrong. That's what you want from your mid-market teams, from your teams like Colorado, who they're not, they're never going to have the drawing power or the the cachet of a Toronto, of a Rangers, even of some of the other teams like Detroit and Chicago, who more legacy as opposed to results, that's what you want from Colorado. And it's a good thing for the NHL when you have more of these teams from those smaller regions, like the Stars going on their run a couple of years ago, the Preds going on a run a couple of years ago. That's good for the league when you have those smaller market teams make a genuine push to be good as opposed to just making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree. And like, it's just, they got magic. Like, I don't know how to yeah. describe it. Like this team is magic. Like, I, I don't mean that in like, kind of like a, you know, there's, they didn't earn their way here or whatever. Like Joe Sackick obviously did such an amazing job of creating this team. But I just, I look at like the fan base and the energy and like the pieces on this team and how much like the chemistry of the team, like literally down to locker room chemistry, how much this team just seems to adore each other. And I'm like, this team has such a, a, a draw and a lore about it. Like, like I was saying, who hates the abs as a team? Maybe like, again, I've maybe met a few blues fans who don't like Nazem Kadri. That's about it. Like yeah. I, I can understand, like, if you, you know, you don't like a certain part of like abs fans, like yeah. I can, you know, obviously there's a, you know, there's a lot, there's a certain sect of Leafs fans who I can't stand. Yes. So we're all in the same boat. We all have, uh, every fan base has their, their, their parts that you're like, Oh, um, yeah. but this team, like, I don't know anyone who doesn't want to root for them. Like, I, why would you not? Why would you root against them? <laughs> I just, what, I don't know. 
what do you think the burden of expectation does to a team over time? Because now they've had two, I'd say two playoff runs and kind of prematurely based on the expectations, based on how the regular season went, especially as good as the team was the last two seasons. What do you think that does to a team over time and how it's impacted how they are right now? It, um, so I think their slow start is almost partially to blame on this. I don't know like yeah. anyone noticed, but the Avs had a really slow start to the season this year. It was very alarming. I remember watching this one game against the Capitals they were playing. And I remember looking at them and like, you, this team looks like the 2020 Leafs. Like, is everything okay? <laughs> like I just had, a, I was like, um, but I think that that's the hardest part this team needs to overcome is this idea of like, it is cup or bust for them. Unfortunately, it's gone to the point that they are so good that like, even getting to the third round is a, is a disappointment. Like you're supposed to make the third round. That is assumed that you will make it out. Of, you are the best team in the West on paper. You are the best team in the West by like regular season standings. So it's assumed that you should make it to the, the, fi- the conference final. Like it's assumed. Making it's cup or bust for this team. And that's what I think is really hard. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like I said, I think fans have been super good about knowing like, hey, like, you know, you can't eat. It's really hard. Playoffs are a different beast. They've been really good about knowing that. Um, And they've had some like up until last season, they've had some insinuating injury stuff with the playoffs. So, you know, that that's another weird thing about the Avs. Like literally a, a player will just take a normal hit and they'll be injured all of a sudden. Like they are a very injury prone team and I don't know what it is. Um. But I think this, that expectation really does factor in. Like, they say it doesn't, but I know, like, the pressure is there. And I think yeah. that a lot of teams – I would say one of my hottest takes is that the Leafs and the Avs are very similar teams, um, just in the way that they have – like, except for the Avs are, like, better, <laughs> obviously. I would say that – like, someone called them um, – the, the Avs are the Leafs plus one, and I think <laughs> that's kind of the vibe. I get from the abs as much. We're like, the Leafs just need to make the second round, but the abs need to win the cup kind of thing. But I think with teams like that, that have this history of like getting to a certain round stalling out, it's the mental blocks. It's yeah. the, like, we have not gotten here before. It's the, like, I think that's more of the issue for them than like construction issues. And I think their goalie for the past couple of years has not been as good as Kemper is. Yeah. Um, people used to disagree with me on thinking that Grubauer wasn't that good. And now he's in Seattle and I look like a genius. <laughs> so Goaltending is fickle. The only so the way I look at goaltending, unless you're Vasilevsky, Hellebach, maybe Shosturkin. Now we could say, other than that, everybody else is kind of just fighting for twenty eighth through four because all it takes is one fluky year. I mean, Mackenzie Blackwood had a really good first twenty games last year, and he's been the worst goalie in the league this season. You look at Chris Drieger, who is pretty good in Florida, is one of the worst goalies in the league this year. Same thing you just said about Grubauer, who pretty good was in that Vezina mix mostly because of what's in front of him. Yeah, that's but it's, <laughs> it's so hard to judge goaltending because so much of it is dependent on what happens in front of them. You can be an amazing goalie and still have awful stats because your team is mediocre. Unless you're somebody who's genuinely like a superhero, like a UC Saros or an Igor Shosturkin that can overcome bad play in front of you, for the most part, you are what's in front of you. And going from um, Grubauer to Kemper, 
moderate upgrade. Going from like a B minus to a B plus, A minus, that's not a huge increase in terms of the scope of your team. But that little bit of margin of difference, that's the margin of difference in the postseason is if you can get from a B minus to a B plus at a certain position, that might be enough to win that one more game in a best of seven series. Well, and I think Avs fans are haunted by getting out goalied in that Vegas series. Like, I do yeah. think a huge piece of that was you were going up against Marc-Andre Fleury in a Vesna, in his Vesna winning season. Yeah. Like, that's who you're going up against. That's the goaltender you're going up against. And I'm sorry, Grubauer, you're not as good as Marc-Andre Fleury in his Vesna winning season. Like, and yeah. I, I have a friend. It's, it's funny because another, like, weird mixed fan reaction is to Grubauer. Like, I have a friend who's an Avs fan who loves Grubauer to this day is so sad he's gone and then there are absence I've met who are like oh screw him he left for the money that's you know that's why he's shit he left for the money and like that's like it's so it's, he's a very polarizing figure um but I think that Avs fans like they've been freaked out at the deadline about wanting to change their goaltending situation and Darcy Kemper since I think December since he came back from injury in December has been one of the best goalies in the league yeah he's got good numbers I mean I would always if you're a team like Colorado, you should always go get a second or third goalie. If you expect to make a second or third round, just in case, because of what happened to them two years ago in the bubble yeah. where both of their goalies died yes. and they had to play, what, Michael Jonas Johansson? Yeah, Michael Hutchinson, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm a Leafs fan. I know about Michael Hutchinson, man. I, like, could not watch those playoff games. I was like, this is giving me so much anxiety. Like, Michael Hutchinson should not be in net. <laughs> Yeah, not in an elimination game in the playoffs, no. I mean, you think about, it, like, Toronto went out and got Riddich last year. If you, you, They have Francois, who's a fine backup. He's been very good in spurts when he's played this year. But mm -hmm. you probably should go and get a third goalie if you're Colorado, just purely on principle based on what's happened to them the last couple of years. That's fair. They do have a good prospect in Eustace Anonen in, um, yeah, down, yeah. down on the Eagles. So I, I wonder if they could just call him up for the playoffs. Like, when That's possible. There's no yeah. caps concerns. And that would cost them significantly less. I, I don't know. I just find that like abs fans having hysterics over Kemper and being like, we need to go get flurry now. And like, obviously every team wants to go get flurry now. Like, you know how many teams like legitimately need a goalie? Like I just, I don't know. Yeah. The goaltending thing is that's, that's the one thing where I feel like they've, that's kind of always been the abs like weak, weak spot. I would say in net. Mm -hmm. no offense to Grubauer, like perfectly adequate goalie for his time here. But I think he's all like, he's either been in, he was injured in that first series and then he got outplayed in the other. Yeah. And so I think there is something to be said of like, that's the anxieties, well-founded, well-founded anxieties about goaltending. But I think that sometimes I'm seeing people freak out about Kemper and I'm like, Kemper is good. Like he's a good goalie. You guys are going to be okay. Like goaltending. Yeah, no. like, I know you don't want to trust that. But that's the I one mean, thing. Like, again, like I was saying, Avs fans have been super rational. Like my experience with Avs fans, super rational, super calm, great trust in the system and the process. Great belief that like, Hey, you know what? You win some, you lose some. It's fine. If you lose a game, like they don't erupt at every loss. Like they're very, very measured fan base but for some reason goaltending is what keeps them up at night like <laughs> that's the one thing that i'm like i don't think you're thinking about this like in a nice way but I, you know i think fan base trauma is a thing i was going to say the playoff scars those are the things that stick with you i still every now and then i do wake up in cold sweats with dreams about games from five to ten years ago there uh, the other day i forget what i was doing i think i was making dinner and i was just staring off in like the to the void not looking at anything in particular and i was just thinking about how the rangers were losing two nothing to the lightning in game seven and derek stepan and rick nash are over in the corner right before a face-off talking to each other and there's three minutes to go in the game and i'm thinking to myself you guys didn't want to talk about this a little bit earlier 
earlier in the game to try and find two more goals. Like, that's the shit that sticks with you from the losses. The, oh. the what could have been is what sticks with you more than the actual successes. Again, Leafs fan, don't I know it? <laughs> I am yeah. traumatized. Like, Leafs, the Leafs fan base is, like, probably the most traumatized. So that's yes. why, like, we're just, like, everything scares us. Everything makes us anxious. <laughs> like, I've never, yeah. But, like, that's, again, why I usually appreciate the Avs fan bases. They're usually a lot calmer than Leafs fans. But I do think that, yeah. like, that being out goalied really does, like, stick in their minds. And I, you know, deserve. Like, they were yeah. for a couple years. That the goaltending was kind of the the one spot where you'd be like, Ugh, don't know and if Bauer's the guy. And that's the thing that's infuriating. Getting goalied is the most frustrating thing in the postseason because there's nothing you can do. You can make a great scoring chance. You could set somebody up. And if the puck doesn't go in, it doesn't count. You can get out goalied. And you don't even have to be out goalied by someone good. Cam Ward got an entire 10-year career in the NHL because he had one good postseason run. You don't even have to get goalied by somebody particularly good. Think about what Carter Hart did. Like, what was that, two years ago in the bubble against uh, Montreal? Yeah, you can just get a goal who's hot at the right time and that's all think about the islanders what they did to tristan yari last year where he was great in the regular season and then he just capitulated goaltending makes no sense so moving on from the general topic of goaltending and the team the last couple years they made a couple decisions like we mentioned before in the offseason they said we're going to try and upgrade goalie ever so marginally going from grubauer to darcy kemper they also had to let Donskoy go in the expansion draft, lose a little bit of depth. That third line last year had some of the best underlying statistics of like any third line in the last couple of years with him, Nichushkin, and I forget who the third person was for stretches. It was Tyson, um, Tyson Jost, but they've kind of had to tinker around with that bottom six and they bring in Darren Helm. They brought, they claimed Obey Kubel off of waivers. They've got Logan O'Connor. Any concerns about the shape of that bottom six is in, or do you kind of feel like the top six is fine, the bottom six is good enough, and the defense, the defensemen are good enough that that bottom six is good enough? I would say the bottom six is good enough. Honestly, I think some of those depth pieces are hugely underrated. Like Logan O'Connor, one of, like you watch, like when you watch him on the ice, you notice what an impact he makes. And he's like you know not to sound like an old hockey man but he's such a heart and soul player like he goes on that ice and he like fights like he's going and he and like and like uh, Abe Kubel kind of same thing where it's kind of gritty has a little bit of toughness yeah. to his game a little bit feisty which I think the Avs needed like again least plus one I feel like that kind of like idea they have that reputation of like oh they're high skill like they're really high octane high skill but they'll get bullied in the corners like they'll get out gritted in the playoffs and I think having people like Logan O'Connor and like an Abe Kubel is like really nice for the playoffs um, Curtis McDermott is debatable. I know he's also grit, but and he's added some fighting. But like sometimes I'm like, is it more of a liability to have him on the ice though? Uh, uh, but I think the bottom six, like you know, is good and is generating chances and points, and they are really good at getting those like gritty in the front of the net thing, like chances. Which the top six can capitalize off rebounds. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's not as much of the like shove it in kind of goals as you get from the bottom six. So I I like our bottom. I like the bottom six and. I don't know. All the moves that the abs are being linked to are top six upgrades. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a Giroux or a JT Miller. And I'm like, if you want to bring in a depth piece, like I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just don't know who you move out. Like maybe gotcha. Comfer, maybe, maybe like, maybe like, I don't know. Cause like new hook is great. New hook's yeah. been great. You don't move him. Like he's been a great, like where he, wherever he plays, he's done a great job. And like, 
Logan O'Connor is probably the best depth piece you can move out. Like, or in my opinion, I think I just, maybe it's just that I really admire the way he plays. I like that. I think the abs lack kind of what he has. And he's also a Denver product. He played a DU. So there's like local ties, fan favorite. Again, I kind of was talking with my lovely Lyft driver being like, so what do you think about like a Drew trade potentially? And he was like, oh, don't touch Logan O'Connor. And I was like, okay, <laughs> hearing that loud and clear, Logan O'Connor. So <laughs> How do you feel about the way they've kind of changed up the top six? Because forever they played with the hero line. They did Landis Gog, McKinnon, Rantanen. How do you feel that they've put Burakovsky up there and they've moved Landis Gog down to play with Kadri? I don't hate it. I think you're allowed to move around the lines and try things out, especially going into the playoffs with just how injury prone this team has been. Yeah. Then that's why I think if you're going to add a top six depth piece, that's why you do it because Landis Cog's been injured in the playoffs. Like at least one of the top six guys has been injured. Like it, it happens all the time or been suspended um, as we'll get to later. Uh, but like, I think, I think I like Burkowski actually up there. I mean, the hero line is great to watch, but I think giving like Burkowski obviously can handle it. Yeah. And like, he's a little younger. Um, I think that like he keeps up with the line and he is as of like, I think that the abs are another one of those teams where it's like underratedly has two first lines. Like Kadri yeah. showed that he could kind of be like, and maybe it's just a hot season, like in this hot season, Kadri is a first line center, but he showed he could anchor a first line when McKinnon was out. And so I think it is like a situation where you do have two first lines. And I think you can kind of move those players around with each other and figure it out. Like, I, I like the, I like the move for scoring depth purposes, but. What was it about that first couple months that had Kadri off to such a great start, made the all-star team for the first time, which I know the Avalanche made a big deal about, which was cool to see. It's a contract year for him. What enabled him to have such a good start to his season where now it's carried on? We're, we're still, we're in March and he's still close to point a game. Yeah, I think, well, I think honestly having the McKinnon out for injury and I think, I think he's just suspended really early in the year. I'd have to check my calendar. Yes. When he elbowed buddy in the face, I can't remember who it was, but it was on a national TV game where he threw the elbow back out and he broke someone's jaw. Yeah. He threw the elbow out on Nolan Patrick like recently, but that's just yes. the Twitter got mad. So that's why I remember it. Um, and it was also recently, you know, you can't touch Nolan Patrick. He's the Prince of hockey Twitter. Why would you hurt him? Uh, sorry. I love to make that joke a lot. Um, uh, but anyway, no, I think having that absence of McKinnon really required Kadri to step up. And like he did play, I think he was like a top, top tier center. And for the Leafs for a while, he was their number two or expected to be number one, you know, from when the Leafs team was bad. Um, <laughs> uh, and so like, I think he's always like been capable of it. Uh, I think having to that additional responsibility where I think there's, you know, a lot of people like, well, if you give people more ice time and you give them better players to play with, like they're going to improve. I think that, and also I think Kadri kind of has something to prove. Like he got suspended in the playoffs, arguably, arguably could have contributed been the reason maybe they lost to Vegas, not having Kadri in the lineup. So you, when you have something to prove your plan, like you have something to prove. And I think that's what it's been. I think it's been the response, increased responsibility of like Nate's out. And Nate also had a slow start. I think that's also important yeah. to know. Because like, he had, had COVID. Really... Yeah. Yeah. He didn't look like himself. Like, he was not playing. Like, I made a joke when the Leafs beat the Avs 8-3 to three a while ago. It was like, players who have more points than Nathan McKinnon. And I was like, Michael Bunting. Like, Alex Kerfoot. Like, I was just listing all these. Because he had, like, one point on, or one goal on the season. I was like, players have more goals than him. And I was, like, listing all these Leafs. It was like a joke. 
um, I don't think they're actually better than McKinnon, please. <laughs> but like McKinnon had a really slow start. And so I think when a player like that, that is your team's number one, that is the one who's supposed to be the all-star, supposed to be putting all those points stall out, it opens this place for other players to step up and to contribute. And I think that's what really helped Kadri, honestly, is like not necessarily McKinnon getting out, but having that kind of like, okay, this is my year. I got to prove that I'm worth it. I got to prove that I'm not a liability in the playoffs anymore, or I got to prove that I'm at least worth it in the regular season. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of what it is. Like, I wish I could tell you, I'm not super great with like exact, like I'm better with like play, like not exactly like in, intimate player mechanics of like, I can't tell you what he's doing differently, like with his stick or with his movement or anything, but I can tell you that he's playing like a man possessed. So what do you think the air of uncertainty about the team's future does to the already heavy expectations? Because Burakovsky's a free agent, Kadri's a free agent, both goalies are free agents after the season, Nishushkin is a free agent after the season. What does that do to the tenor of the team? Because there's already all these expectations, and then there's the added weight of, well, maybe not all these guys are going to be around next year. So what do you think that does to the team? It's weird because you know what? You don't hear like as much about it talk almost like you hear it talked about when it start we start talking about like what's the future for the abs. Yeah. But I think this is such a win now team that people are literally like, what are we gonna do to win now? And so I don't hear a lot about like, oh shit, we're screwed when like Kadri needs to be resigned and so does Bird Costing so does like, oh my god, Kemper needs to be resigned. Like I have met very few fans who are focused on that right now mm-hmm. because they think this is the year. So I think what it does yeah. is it just kind of increases that feeling of this is the year. Like if you're going to do it, it's this year. And so I think it does increase the pressure, but it also decreases any thought of like nothing else matters. Like it's here and now we're living in the present. What we're doing now, it's all about success now. And so I think that's a very, it's a very different mindset than like, oh no, the playoffs are in like whatever amount of time. And what if we don't do all the playoffs? It's like, no, no, no. It's what we're doing now. I think it's really increased the presentism. That's a word. It might not be, but it's it's a good expression. I might steal that. That might go into the lexicon. That's a good Great, one. That's a good one. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, I think they're yeah. one of the, like the Leafs are you a team. Can't... Like again, from Leafs fandom experience, Leafs are a team who literally one of their players starts doing well, and it's how the hell are we going to recite him in three years? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a lot of teams like that where a player starts doing well, and it's like, oh, he's going to be a bitch to resign. And this team, though, I think because they realize how special it is, like Kadri season. This is a career season the best season of his career, right? Like they've captured kind of lightning in a bottle right now, right? They're getting yeah. great performances out of everyone. You know, it's career season for Makar. Like all of these, they're getting basically the best performances they've ever seen, which obviously it's a career season for Makar, but like he's going to have better seasons in, for, you know, in the future. Yeah. Like, or at least we think he will probably, most likely. It seems highly likely he wouldn't. Um, but like career season for Makar, career season for Kadri. Like why would you not just be like, it's now. We've captured lightning in a bottle. If this is going to be our year, we're going to have to go all in. Who cares about who's being resigned? Who cares about who's up? It's about right now and what we do now. And also on the good bright side, if they don't make it far, then their team's already blown up, so they can already reconstruct it. <laughs> like you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's our like already yeah. like we have we're going to have so much cap space with all of them coming off the books, so we just refigure it out. Like it's kind of like it is high stakes, right? Because it is cup or bust. Yeah. But it isn't something like. I'm going to use the Leafs again because I know them best. It's not like the Leafs, right? Where it's like, if they lose in the first round again this year, you still have the massive Marner and Tavares contracts you have to have. Yes. So like, 
that's like going to stop you from blowing it up and really rebuilding the team. Whereas this one, it's like, at least if we don't win the cup, we will have so much cap space. We can fully reconstruct this roster if we need. Yeah, no, that's a good way to think about it. Cause you can't worry about the summer because that they got to worry about right now. So that's a good way to think about it. That's a good, I, I always, cause I'm always doing that. I'm always trying to think like nine steps ahead because my hockey team is not very good. They're fake good. We have a very good goalie and that's about it. So I'm just thinking about what the Rangers are going to do in the summer to try and make the team better. And that leads me to do that about every other team. So I definitely can understand that we're too good to be worried about the future. So that makes sense. What yeah, are your impressions think, of Jer- Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that's really, really true. Like, I think that's really true for a lot of good teams. Like, I think that was like Tampa last year with the Horkutra yeah. thing, where they all, they didn't they say their ring was designed knowing that this was going to be the last year they would yeah. all play with each other. So, like, I think that's the vibe for the apps, where they're like, they know that, like, if they're going to do it, it's now or never, baby. Like, it's go time. And I think it honestly shifts the mindset for more of this. We have lots of pressure to more urgency, if that makes sense. It's different than like, you are expected to win the cup. You better play up to that expectation to more like, we got it. Like there's no choice, but to, because we're going to lose Kadri and we're going to lose. And like I said, the team, the room is so good. Like they love each other. They want to win together. Um, so yeah. This That's conversation just, this conversation just gave me the title for the episode right there. There we go. Great. This is the Avs last dance season. That's what this is. This is the last dance season. Everybody's going to be moved on. So that leads me naturally into my next question. We're talking about the last dance, Phil Jackson. What are your impressions of Jared Bettner as a coach? Because he's been there a while now. He's pretty firmly entrenched where I don't know if they lose in the first round, he would get fired, but it wouldn't be out of the range of discussion if they wanted to kind of shake things up and see if a different voice would change things. What are your impressions of Bettner as a coach? I like him. I haven't seen a ton of things where I'd look at him and go, that's like our issues with the team where I've gone like, that's a coaching issue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the Avs style of play isn't a super, it's not a, I would say the Avs are not a structures team. Like, you know, like the Islanders or like the Penguins are very like structure teams. Like the Penguins, I say that because like literally they can put in nobody wingers and they perform great. Like they just put them in and they like somehow succeed. And like, obviously the Islanders are like, if we do not have structure, we are literally the worst team ever. And we collapse. Like, <laughs> um, so like there's a lot of teams like that, right. Where it's their structures team. I don't think the abs are structures team. Like, I think it's a lot of their strategy is like, you have these amazing minds with amazing hockey IQ. You like tell them kind of what to do, but you let them think. And obviously I think sometimes it hurts them a little bit. Cause sometimes they are like, how can I make this little fancy pass as fancy as it can be? And it's like, just pass it. Like sometimes like there are times with the after I'm like, what are you doing? Keep it simple, stupid. Like they drop a lot of passes. I don't think, I don't know if anyone notices it, but sometimes I watch the game and I'm like, who is that pass to? Like who, who was it to? <laughs> like, that's, that's the burden of a high skill team though, because they yeah. feel that, that, that the Rangers do that too, but it's less talented guys. Like Ryan Strom, I like you. You're not Nathan McKinnon. You can't just yeah. be firing blind passes towards the general area of the net front because he thinks somebody's going to be there. But that's one of the things, because when I was doing my research, because I'm a good producer and host and I go and do my research before I have people on, I was very impressed with, I went and looked at the underlying, the transition stuff. So going from defense to offense, winning 50-50 pucks. The Avs have a lot of versatility in their lineup where they're not forced to play one specific way, which speaks to what you're saying about that they're not particularly structured, that they have the personnel where they're able to play multiple types of games, where if they need to go and get the puck below the goal line, win puck battles, they can do that. If they just whip the puck through the neutral zone, they gain the zone with speed, two on one, three on two, they can do that too. And that speaks to having a well-rounded roster where you have guys who have different skill sets 
and a lot of high-end talent because to be frank if you have high-end if you don't have that high-end talent that's capable of just rush opportunities where you're creating those two-on-ones and three-on-twos frequently it's a lot harder to make offense it's very easy to understand why nathan mckinnon is good at hockey when he's skating in a straight line past everybody it's really easy to see that that's the way i always that's the thing i used to describe like what makes a really good hockey player where it's a little bit more complicated than to explain what makes a good football player baseball player whatever it's watch how they move Watch how they move with and without the puck. You see somebody like McKinnon just skating, even if they don't have the puck, you can tell why he's special just by the way he moves. Well, and that's why I think the Avs power play for a while was kind of struggling in the early season, um, back when McKinnon was out. And it was, they would do the drop pass, which is the bane of my existence. Abolish the drop pass, Jesus Christ. Like, not actually, it does help. I get it. I just, it's like such a frustrating pass to watch when you don't have speed. And the Avs do rely a lot on having a McKinnon of having a really fast team. Like the, the, the Avs, yeah. like I often say though, what's the thing about the Avs is like, they cannot let another team make, they have to make the other team come to them and not the other way around, if that makes sense. Like, I like you were saying, like they can play literally any style, but I feel like once the game slows down, a lot of those drop passes get caught. A lot of those like risky plays don't have as high of payoff or they're intercepted. That makes sense. Um, that's yeah. what I noticed early in the season. Where it's because, but like when they make other teams try to play with them, can't keep up. Like, yeah. can't keep up. And again, they, they struggle against like certain certain aspects of certain teams. And I think if you limit their offensive creativity, like it really makes it hard for them. But then you have like their bottom six who are like, well, I'll just go to the front of the net and like shove it in. So yeah. you have that diversity of play styles. So yeah, kind of what you're saying. But I, I again, I think they're a team where it's like, you can tell they're not playing well when they're playing the same style of hockey that the other team is playing, if that makes sense. Like if they're, if they're not like, if you know, I'm trying to describe it in a way that makes sense without visualizing it, but it's like, you know, that you're like, Oh, the abs are not on their A game when they're not completely like making sure that the the style, the pace of play is not what they set it to be. Cause that's like, they do that immediately. And obviously they, they have slow starts to games, but like they do that. Once they do that, the game is over. And you can tell, like, I don't know. I was watching that Islanders game the other night and like Kale McCarr scored a goal, scored a goal and then the Avs scored like I think five, like they scored Something five like unanswered goals. After he scored and then four more unanswered goals. And it was like, you just felt the momentum shift and all of a sudden the Islanders were being forced to play the Avalanches game. And I was like, see, now they're going to win. Like they won 5-4, but like they still won. <laughs> no, definitely. And, but the reason the Avs are so good at imposing their will on their on the other team is their back end, is their defense. And mm-hmm. when you have a first pair that is as good as Makar and Taze is, you are able to impose your will on the other team because they're going to play close to 27, 28 minutes, almost half of the game, where your other two defensive pairs, especially depending how many power plays and penalty kill opportunities there are, the, le- the more you can have your first pair out there, especially as good as that pair is, they're going to be able to impose their will on the flow of the game because they're both pretty good skaters they're both really good at getting the puck out of danger they're both really good at going from defense to offense as fast as possible and there aren't a lot of teams that have let one player as good as Taze or McCarr let alone playing them together on the same pair so to your point about imposing your will and making the other team play the way the Avs want to not every team can do that because not every team has a McCarr or a Taze no no uh, no, as again, as a least fit, I do know that not every team has a Makar and a Taves, and it does bug me. I wish, uh, what I would give to have Devon Taves be on the Leafs, like I would give my soul. Um, 
But yeah, the no, Leafs need I, a number one D. The Leafs no, need a one D. I like no, Morgan I, Riley. He's a nice guy. He's not Devontae's. He's not no, Kale McCarr. I'm also okay. Here's the thing. I am super. This is like a weird bias I have. I'm very, very anti-offensive defenseman. Not in like a mean way, but I just feel that if you're a defenseman, you should play defense. I'm not saying don't like try to score if you have the option, but I think like there's a lot of defense offensive defensemen who are like considered the best in the league, but have like the lowest defensive war. And it's like, why would I pay you to play defense when you're essentially a fourth forward? Like, I'm sorry. Like that's Kale McCarr is an exception. I'm Kale McCarr is different because he's like above 50% defensive war. Like, you know, Devon Taves, incredible. One of the top defensive defensemen actually in the league. Right. Yes. And still can generate points. Um, and allows, but it's like, you have to have offensive defensemen always have to be partnered with a defensive defenseman or else they can't do what they want to do. Um, so I just, I don't know. That's my, my, my propaganda is I am very anti offensive defenseman. Um, but even I can recognize like Kale McCarr is different. Kale McCarr is a genuinely well-rounded offensive defenseman, which is why he's important. And, but I do think that you don't get McCarr having the season he's having. If you don't have Taves next to him, Correct. Just, I would agree with that. You watch Taves and it is, it is like, he does not all the defense, but he does so many little defensive things. Yep. Like I, I, it was like against a game against the Sens and another player like had a breakaway was going to go in and Devon Taves just took the puck, just took the puck, just took it. And I was like, oh, oh, like, oh my God, Devon, amazing. Like he just does these little things, which is what a defenseman is supposed to do, right? Calm, just takes the puck, ends the chance clears the zone like he does all those things a defenseman is supposed to do my anxiety when I see Devon Taves on the ice goes from like a 10 to like a five in like two seconds like it's he he is like the anchor I think he anchors that pairing and I'm not saying that Kale McCarr isn't good I'm saying that Kale McCarr probably could be as good defensively as Taves is but because Taves is so good on defense McCarr doesn't have to be McCarr can go score like as many goals as he wants I think he has 63 points this season Something like that, yeah. He scores 63 points because he has someone else who can, like, make sure that if, you know, he doesn't get back in time, like, he can stop the chance. Like, I think that that's what's so amazing about that pairing is they balance each other out so well. And, like, it's not like a situation where you have in, like, a Toronto or in – I'm trying to think of another – or I guess, like, when Tyson Berry used to play in um, abs for the abs where it's like you have an offensive defenseman who can go score, but cannot play defense. So this defensive defenseman has to shut everything down. And then that person maybe can go play offense. It's like Kale McCarr probably could be fine on his own pairing if he split them up. But like, this is maximizing both of their talents because Devon Taves can score too, but it's not the focus of his game. And so he can go score 12 goals. Kale McCarr can get 63 points. And that's all enabled by them playing together. So they're just like the perfect pairing to me. They are. They're, they're the evolutionary version of what Latang and Dumoulin were when the Penguins went back to back. That is the way I would describe them, where Makar is the better version of what Latang is, and Taze is the better version of what Brian Dumoulin was a couple years ago, where they perfectly complement each other's games because of the strengths each of them have. So one of the things that the Avs have done over the years is they've been constantly tinkering with that defense, trying to find the exact right mix of short, fast, athletic guys, and the big brooding types who are going to win the 50-50 pucks. They've had the Ryan Graves experience. They had the Patrick Nemeth experience. This year, they have the Johnsons together with Ryan Murray. What would you say? What what, what are you chuckling about? Oh, I just, I like the Jack Johnson. Like, I I just remember what the abs signed him, and I was like, oh, 
I'm like, I remember writing, I wrote like a draft article and I never published it, but I wrote like a little draft article about the signing. And I was like, I mean, I trust Osakic. So I, I think, you know, if he seems something I don't like go for it. And then Jack Johnson scored like in the first game of the season. Yeah. And I was like, I was wrong. Like I'll admit I was wrong a little bit. Like, I don't think that Jack Johnson really is like a, a good defenseman, but he's not. <laughs> he's not as bad as I thought he was gonna be I was like he like I remember like I I had a way of roasting him without meaning to like I was trying to be nice I was like he's not a complete and utter defensive liability way to go like sorry I just like Jack Johnson and I like I just I see him and I'm always like oh my god Jack Johnson's on this team like every time and I, I've been covering them for like a couple years I'm just like you're on this team aren't you like oh my god my favorite running conspiracy theory on hockey twitter is that the nhl gms still feel bad that his parents stole all his money and that's why they keep giving him these one year one million dollar contracts so he gets to stay in the league and get some money back that that's one of my favorite hockey conspiracy theories that was one of the wildest days in hockey twitter that happened in like 2015 or 2016 when that story broke and woof that was tough but he's hung around he, he got he got that contract from the penguins they bought him out he went to the Rangers for a year. He played 12 games, then had sports hernia surgery done for the year. Went to Colorado. He's got a decent chance at a ring playing like 14 minutes a night, 13 minutes a night as a third pair lefty. Because last year in that series against Vegas, watching Nemeth capitulate and then my team being like, I want him. That that was one of the very clear moments where I must be missing something or these people are looking for things other than hockey skill because he was slow. He's, he's big and slow. He's not going to be able to win get those 50, 50 pucks against swooping in wingers. And he's had a very rough first 40 games as a Ranger because he's so big and so slow. And there's that old, that, that very old school hockey man mentality of, well, you got to have a defenseman like a Ben Chirot or a Joel Edmondson oh when it comes God. to playoff time. Do you right, know what ben I'm Chirot. talking about? The Ben Chirot thing? Like, okay, so this, like, not to plug, but literally the last episode of our podcast is, like, me just being, like, some dumbass is going to pay a first for yes. Ben Chirot, aren't they? Like, some dumbass is going to dupe themselves into thinking that, like, Ben Chirot is worth a first. And I'm, like, I hope it's not my team. Like, I hope neither the ads or the lease are that team, so I don't have to write an article about how dumb they are. But, like, See, they're going to dupe some team because of like one yeah. trade last year. The Savard trade ruined it. The Savard trade ruined it, ruined us as a, as a cocky cons- consortium, cons- like constituency, Jesus. Like who in what universe is like, he's not good on defense. He's not good on offense. What then what's he for? <laughs> like, uh, like he's I there for the vibes. He's there for the vibes. Hockey man uh, tall. I want him. Hockey man tall. That's what yeah, Chuck Fletcher that's... said when he traded for Ristolainen. Hockey oh man tall. Oh, my God. The Flyers are another one. But see, my, I've discovered my talent as, like, a hockey writer is I can find the things that are wrong with teams really fast, but I write about the abs. <laughs> so I'm, like, nitpicking this, like, team that's so good. And I'm, like, no one wants to hear about this. Like, because uh, that's I've noticed that about myself where I'm, like, oh, this is bad with this team. Like, if they just fix this, they'd be a lot better. And I'm, like, why – I can find that with like, it's like, why is that my, my gift? <laughs> like my it's gift easier. is having hockey prophecy. It's yeah. easier to do that because 95% of the time, the answer to the question is because the goalie's playing well. Why is a team doing well? The goalie's playing well. That's, That's the fair. answer to the question most of the time. I mean, it's one of those things. It's also easier to just notice things that are wrong than things that are going well, because like everybody kind of has a good idea of what good hockey looks like. 
but it's kind of tricky to explain to some degree, especially if you don't know yes. exactly what you're watching. So definitely understand you from that perspective. No, and it's like, but yeah, it's like, for, especially with like, I'm like, I'm like, why can I only notice the flaws? I can't notice, but yeah, the flyers are one of the teams where I'm just like, I look at them and I'm like, you really needed like new GM and a new farm system. Cause that's another one of my controversial opinions is I'm like, if a prospect that's like a top 10 prospect doesn't develop, I say that's like nine times out of 10 on the team that has them, that they didn't develop them properly. So like, yeah. I look at the case of Nolan Patrick, hockey, hockey, uh, Twitter's Prince. And I'm like, I think. I think the Flyers don't have a very good development system. Like, who have they really turned out besides Konechny? And maybe Farabee? Yeah, Farabee's been good, but he had U.S. national team development time, so, like, he yeah. wasn't really in – he wasn't with the Phantoms or anything. I'm trying to think. I mean, the last impact player – I mean, Provorov? Yeah, Provorov, probably the last decent player they turned out through their system before Konechny, and Konechny's had a rough two seasons since the bubble. So, yeah, there, there's a handful of teams. like The Rangers are like that. The Leafs have been, had been like that for quite a period of time before they kind of found the uh, the be your best self kind of energy they have now where it's you do one thing really well. We want you to do that and only that. Don't worry about anything else. I love it. Love. <laughs> I also just love, yeah, but like, I don't know. That's my, sorry to take about the Flyers, but that's my take on the Flyers is I'm like, they don't know what they're doing and then they also they can't don't. develop a prospect. So like, what are they going to do? <laughs> like, oh, uh, there's so many GMs where I'm like, you are an idiot. Like, I don't, what's between your ears, sir. Like, I don't know. That was how I felt about like Jim Benning. <laughs> yeah. Where I was like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, Ken Holland is my, my cause celeb currently. <laughs> I'm like, if it's, once he gets fired, I will know some piece. <laughs> It's unfortunate the network is the way it is because, and it's always going to be the same rotating band of 45 white guys, basically. That's what we're at. There's 45 white guys who are the only ones qualified to be NHL GMs and the 32 franchises are just going to pass them around in perpetuity until their sons, their son-in-laws, their nephews, or their cousins can get the job. So. Or they're all teammates, obviously. Yeah, like, the teammates. Yeah. yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. Some of the yeah, players like are going to retire now. Joe Thornton yeah. is going to be a great GM in a few years. Yeah, and what so, i don't know someone like joe i feel like once that was retired, a, it was a joke i was i was joking but I no i'm just thinking out loud joe Thor i have no idea joe's a hard guy to get a read on what he wants to do post hockey but circling back actually getting on the tracks here sorry yeah that was my bad no I, oh it's fine tangents are the whole point of having a podcast if you can't talk about things that are unrelated to the subject matter you don't actually have a podcast you're having a conversation so you mentioned before you notice the things that are wrong what right now would you say is the glaring problem, the biggest thing the ads need to fix? Is it just surviving this midseason malaise of just getting to the postseason healthy? Is it a certain part of the lineup that needs to play better? What stands out to you as somewhere where there's room for improvement right now? Okay, so there's two glaring things that have been an issue all season. Um, one is net front defense. Uh, I don't know if you okay. noticed, but almost all of the goals, I want to say all of them, but the like, empty net goal sorry i got knocked over um uh but all of them is at the empty net goal last night um against the devils where they came back the, the they blew a three nothing three nothing lead yeah. devils uh almost all of them were deflections in front of the net front of the net goals and i've noticed that and it was the most glaring issue you can find highlights of this because leaf fans clipped the shit out of it austin matthews hot trick against the abs Austin Matthews is just in front of the net, handles the puck, has time and space to handle the puck and shoot it above. I think it was Johansson in net that night. So 
there's like net front defense is a huge issue. I've just noticed, I've noticed that almost every time a team scores on the abs, it's from, there's either a screen in front of the net and he is unmoved. There is a deflection in front of the net or a rebound scored in tight to the net. And obviously a lot of teams struggle with that. I think if it was easy to fix, you would see no, like you wouldn't see the whole, like what's the, the verbiage. If you want bread, go to the store. If you want goals, go to the net. Right. That wouldn't be a verbiage if like it was easy to do. But I think that's my most glaring one where I just notice it all the time. Where I'm like, why are you letting a screen sit there? Like shove him, like move him. You can move a body. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I know that like the abs defensemen are not huge. Like a lot, again, besides like the Johnsons, they're not like big bodies, but it's like, you have a little strength. Like you're strong. You're an NHL player. Like you can shove him. You can shove a guy out of the way. Like, I don't know. So, like, net front defense is, like, the one thing that I've always noticed. Playing a full 60. Yeah. This team loves to either, like, it, they love to either start slow. Like, it's a it's a joke in the fan base. Literally, everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, like, the games don't start to the second period anyway. Like, the abs are known for having horrible first periods. And it's not like they've, like, and now it's more like they'll have, like, horrible first half to the first period, then they'll come back and be fine. Or they'll start off great, and then, like, even if they don't play as tight, they usually are because their defense and goaltending are so good, they can, like, handle it. They don't blow leads. But, like, you see a lot of comeback wins from the Avs. You see a lot of comeback wins from the Avs. Um, and I think it's because of that. They don't play a full 60, but they're so good, they can totally compensate for it. So playing a full 60, I would also say, they, they need to work on that. Uh, but that's, again, that's a mental thing. And I think there's a lot of, weirdly, a lot of high skill teams struggle with that. Yeah. Like, I've noticed that, like, any team that has a lot of offensive talent can't play a full 60. I bet it's probably because it's really hard to be really good at fast, like fast paced, high octane yeah. hockey for 60 minutes. Like I bet that's pretty hard. So I'm going to guess that's why. Um, and I think, oh my gosh, I had a third thing that I was going to say, talk about. I just forgot it. So we're going, but there's a uh, net front defense. They, they are another team that loses. They're another team that likes to lose to bad teams, but I don't think that's a problem. Like for some reason, the Sens just decide to be good sometimes. And like, same with the Yotes, like sometimes the goalie just stands on their head and you're like, ah, oh, okay. So I don't, I don't think that's a problem for the Avs. I, I think as a roster as a whole, I don't really feel like there's like players where I'm like, you really need to be doing better. But I think that there's like, there's definite things they can work on. So like, yeah, the net front, net front defense I've noticed all the time, the playing a full 60 is a big one. Their special teams aren't great. They're fine, yeah, but they're, they're not top they're of the middle league, of the pack. Yeah, which you 17... wouldn't expect. 20th power 17th power play 20th penalty kill yeah which mediocre yeah which you would expect probably to be better i mean i can't really they're doing so well without it like that's fine i mean i think again like i think they for a while their offense was really really high but then people weren't looking at how high their pdo was too so they were like oh my god the others running seven games every night they're like amazing they're unbeatable and it's like and their luck's really good right now, guys. Like, just wait till it gets back to the mean. And now it's regressed to the mean. They're like, why are the Avs losing again? And I'm like, because you can't always win game seven to three, like seven to five. Jesus. Like, I watched them win a game seven to five against the Senators. That's why I used that as my example. Score. Um, but yeah, it's like, I think that they're really, really good. They have all the pieces together. Oh, staying healthy. That's my last point, point which is hard to do, right? But yeah. this team, if they go out at the deadline to get depth or if they just somehow manage to stay healthy, like I don't know if it's a fundamental change in the way they play or what it is that makes them so injury prone. Cause it's like, are you, is it because you go so fast that when you get hit, the momentum is harder and that's why you hurt, get hurt 
bet worse? Like, is it a, you know, you aren't tough enough and you don't like stand up for yourself? Cause they're like, Gabe Landis is kind of gritty and tough, man, but he like gets injured all the time. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I just think that that's interesting too. Or like our players gunning for you guys harder because you're so skilled and they can't compete like skill wise, all hypotheses that probably all contribute. Um, but yeah, like, I think that's the three points, net front defense, playing full 60, staying healthy and the staying healthy is out of your control. So it's the two that those are the two I noticed though, which kind of sucks because I feel like in the playoffs, those are when it's going to become the biggest issue because like net front goals, that's what you got to score and what you got to protect against in the playoffs. Believe me, I hear these fans talking my ear off about it all the time, but types of goals scored in the playoffs. Like, um, so yeah, and I do kind of worry about their grit. Like I, again, it's very old hockey man of me to be like, worry about their toughness going into the playoffs. But again, because they're so injury prone and like you do have like a Curtis McDermott and like a Logan O'Connor who are kind of scrappier, but I do worry. Like yeah. I worry how they're going to deal with teams that are going to slam into them, slam into them, slam into them, and they're going to get no penalties for. But I think any team's probably worried about that. That's high skill, so. Yeah, no, it's one of those things. I mean, I always come back to the example of the handful of guys. I mean, the perfect example is you need somebody, you need your best player to be somebody like Nikita Kucherov, who is just like an angry, mean fuck and also very good at hockey. That's kind of what you need from your best player. That's why every single summer when the dog pile starts on Mitch Marner, it's like he's 5'9", like 175 pounds. What would you like him to do? He's He's not going, by the way, he's six foot. He's hockey six foot. He's hockey. <laughs> no, okay, sorry. Yeah, that this is another thing. I've I've gone to arguments with forms about like players' heights, and I'm like, they're five seven. I swear, like, <laughs> yeah, he's hockey. Yeah, six I, foot. that's true. Mitch Marner's hockey six foot, 185 pounds tops. He's not going to be able to bowl his way to the net the way somebody like a Kucherov would. So the way somebody like a Nate Mack would, somebody like Kadri would be able to do. And I think the Avs have enough of that meanness in their top players where. I don't think the glaring there's no like there's no glaring like oh they're kind of a soft team rep that the Leafs get. The Avs have like Nate Mack will throw the occasional dirty hit. Kadri will do that too. Landis Gog might be very pretty, but he does like to put people in headlocks and throw punches at people yeah. too. So like th- I don't think the softness or lack of grit is a real concern I would say for the Avs. I like I worry about it the same way like but I don't like worry about it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like yeah, kind of yeah, thing yeah. where it's like it's like you know it's like I worry about it the way I'd worry about an earthquake in California. Like, you know, it's a a thing that could happen, but like, you're not like planning your day around it. You know what I mean? Like it's that kind of thing where it's like, I just, and also too, like, I don't know if this team plays when they're hurt and they're angry. It's a different than when they're pissed off that they're losing kind of angry, if that makes sense. And I've just, no, I feel like when they're getting frustrated, there's a like I don't know there's a different energy and I think if this is just specifically talking about Nathan McKinnon like I feel like Nathan McKinnon has like two modes where it's like I'm angry I'm gonna fucking destroy you or it's like I'm angry I'm going to like be frustrated and like kind of fall apart a little bit yeah so like I don't and I don't see like the second one a lot but I do like I wonder like the playoffs are the time where all the emotions run high so like I'm getting I'm worried about it like an earthquake in California could happen could be an issue but not really. Like, I think, again, like you were saying, there are a lot of big bodies on the abs that if they do it and they commit, like, I think Nas obviously will, but it's, an, it's with Nas, it's not an aspect of, will he throw a hit? It is, will that hit get him suspended for eight games? Yes, yes. So they've been linked to a lot of people trade deadline-wise. The one that everyone comes back to is Claude Giroux because everybody still has the image of Ray Bork getting traded after 20 years in Boston to Colorado to get his one cup. 
I don't know how practical that is. They they could make the math work, but they would need a third team involved to retain some salary. The Flyers would have to retain some salary. And you'd also have to find a fit for him. Like, would you play him on the second line on the wing, on Kadri's wing, and then bump Nichushkin down and bump everybody else down a spot in the lineup? Would that make sense? I'm not going to ask you for a specific player, but what type of player do you think would make sense if the Avs wanted to go out and add a skater, not a goalie? So I just want to start by saying with the Drew thing too, I think the hardest thing is risk. You really risk overpaying for Drew. You really yeah. risk overpaying for Drew if you're the Avs. I, I think personally, because I think the Avs have so many great players that I'm like, I think you could really, you could really like mess with this a little too much, especially because the Flyers will want like a defenseman and they'll probably want a top tier defensive prospect and the Avs do have some, some of those. Um, and so it's like, you do risk overpaying for Drew. So I think that's actually honestly the hardest part is like, and when I talk to other Avs fans, I'm always like, you know, like, what did you think? Like I asked a guy, I was like, what do you think of the Drew trade? And he was like, I don't know who I'd give up for him. I don't want to give up any of our players for him. And if like, and again, or if it is, it's like Logan O'Connor's a good piece or it's a, you know, like Justin Comfort, but it's like, you're not going to get Drew for Justin Comfort. Like, <laughs> so I think that's like a thing too. That's just, that's my piece on the Drew to Colorado thing is I think it could happen. Don't get me wrong, but I think there's such a high risk in overpaying for Drew because he's a rental and he's older. I just think that like, there is a huge risk there in overpaying and Joe Sackick is quite smart. So I don't think he'll overpay, but I'm also like, there is a, a risk that that does happen. Um, for me, the type of player I'd want to see them at the deadline go after, though, um, I think if you're going after a skater, like, honestly, I on it, if you're going to go after one of those big names, right, I like him. I would like them to go after, after JT Miller instead because okay. yeah, he has term. He's yeah. younger. He's bona fide top six. And again, abs are an injury prone team. So, of course, like cat math and all that stuff you have to do. But I do think that would be the top, the big name that I'd want them to go after is someone okay. like him who has a bit of term, who is younger, who like, if you paid a top prospect, because they don't have a first round pick this year. And that's why yes. I think I'm really concerned about the overpayment because it's like, not that a first round pick isn't an overpayment, but you know, if you're the abs, like your first round pick is not going to be super high in that draft. Like you're not giving them, you know, first overall pick. Right. And they gave it that, that first round pick to Arizona for Kemper. So they don't have like that easy, like, Oh, great. We'll give you drew for a first round pick. And you know, some B tier prospect. Right. So like, you can't do that. Whereas with like, so that's, that's why I worry about the overpayment stuff. So again, if you're going to go after a big name, I would say JT Miller, just cause you risk less, there's less of a risk of overpaying for him. Cause you at least have him for a year. And with, you know, all these wingers coming off the books and all these, yeah, all, you literally lose your whole second line. It's like having JT Miller might be kind of nice piece to keep into the next year. You know, you don't one piece, you don't have to worry about into the next year on your second line. Um, again, though, I don't really want to fuck with this chemistry. Like they love each other. They play really well together. Like screwing with it doesn't seem like super necessary. Uh, yeah. And any kind of depth piece down in the bottom six would probably be fine too uh, on defense as well, just because of, again, this team injury prone. So I could see them or, you know, getting a depth piece of like, what if Kondry gets suspended again, kind of insurance. Like, yeah. I know, like, I know <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous, but it has happened, you know, it's, they say, what is it, the thing where it's like twice is a coincidence, three times a pattern? Yeah. Twice is a coincidence, three times a pattern with Kadri, right? It's almost like you need Kadri insurance. Like you need some guy to be there in case Kadri gets suspended. So I don't necessarily like know who you target for that. Um, you know, I, I have to go back to my trade bait list and read through and see who the top tier uh, 
center, like low rate, low priced centers are to, to make up for it. Um, but yeah, I think, especially cause like Drew's on, like, again, I was like, you could trade like one for one, do like a Burakovsky for Drew, but is Drew really an improvement on Burakovsky? Like, you know what I mean? Like a one for yeah. one to Chushkin on Drew. Uh, cause that's a comparable, right? They're both UFAs and you know, they're both like wingers. So like trade them, like, you know what I'm jo- like, I'm jo- obviously joking and oversimplifying this, but, um, I still don't think you mess like with that chemistry. So I just, again, it's an issue of, I don't know who it's less of who did the app. Like, I think the app should add, but I'm like, who do you give up for who, yes. for who, like, who are you paying for this with? Like, it's, you know, you're going to a restaurant and you're like on a budget and you're like, what are you going to buy? Like, you're not going to buy anything at this restaurant. You're on a budget. You're saving. Like, why would you go here? Like, you're not going to eat anything. Why are you at the restaurant? That's how it feels where it's like, you should order something at this restaurant. You're there, aren't you? But it's like, they're like, no, I don't have any money for it though. <laughs> we don't want to spend any money. So then why are you yeah. going out to eat? You don't want to spend any money. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it feels like to me where it feels like, I'm like, I know you have to go all in, but I just, I'm like, who, who is the sacrificial lamb, right? Who gets traded? And that's, that's what I, I wonder. Cause it's, again, this roster loves each other. They gel, like they're generating. And while I think you definitely, again, need to add just for playoff insurance, you maybe need a cadre insurance. You maybe need a, one of our top players is going to get injured again, insurance. Like I get that, but like, they're definitely not going after, like, I don't, they're definitely not in on Sherratt. They're definitely not in on Klingberg. They're definitely like, I think they're decor. I don't think they're going to be adding any offensive defensemen. And I don't think they're adding Sherratt. They have their Curtis McDermott Sherratt equivalent. So I don't think they need a Sherratt. Um, so I, of the big names, I would see them going for, I would like to see them go more for a JT Miller, someone with term. I think if they go for a okay. forward with term, that's going to be a better reassurance because you already have three whole UFAs just in the yeah. forward position. Like, and I know we said that they're not really thinking about the future, but the GM kind of has to. Yeah. So like if your whole second line is leaving, having one person who could probably stay on your second line would be kind of nice for like a year. So you know that you didn't just lose a whole line. Like you at least have one person. What do you think is going to happen the rest of this season? The rest of the season? I think the, the regular season. Regular what, season? What do you th- yeah. For the whole league or just for the Avs? Just for the Avs. Just for the Avs? Um, I think they'll make kind of like a shocking move at the deadline that no one saw coming. I think – like, I think Sakic and Kyle Dubas both have this weird ability where they're like, oh, you, everyone on Twitter and everywhere was saying we were going to agree on this player. But, like, actually, we're in on this other player you never thought of. Aren't we cool? Like, the whole Labushkin trade where everyone's like, oh, they're in on Sherratt. They're 110% in on Sherratt. And it's like they go for Labushkin instead. Like, you know, that's the that's the Leafs equivalent. But I feel like that's the energy that, like, Joe Sakic gives me, too, where he's very, like, oh, you thought I was, like, going to go for Drew? you're so stupid. Like I was going to go for another player that does the exact same thing, but has term and is like younger you like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like Joe Sack is going to pull one of those. Like I get that feeling from him. And I think this year you can't, you can't not go all in. He hasn't done a lot at past trade deadlines. They're much more of an off season move kind of team, but I think there is that this is kind of their year. And I think if he recognizes that he'll add something, don't know if it's going to be a big piece, you know, it could be a very like, bottom like fourth line winger who throws lots of hits and punches kind of thing like it could be playoff playoff guy um but I think they're going to continue to play the way they're playing um 
you know, their PDO has finally regressed back to normal. So they're losing games again. And people are like, what, why are they losing games again? And I'm like, because their, their luck is normal again, guys, they're hitting posts again. <laughs> uh, or it, it was, cause it was really high, like in December when they were doing crazy numbers. And I did watch them lose to the coyotes though, in a shootout, which was quite funny because they lost to yeah. Alex Galchenyuk. And I was like, okay. Like, I, was on this, I was watching this game and I was like, all right. Like I was in the stands, like I, I burst out laughing. Like I left ball arena cackling and everyone was looking at me like I was insane. I was like, of course they lose to Alex Galchenyuk. Like, of course. But I think the abs are going to keep playing. They're going to win. They're going to lose some, but they're going to win greatly and, you know, lose in like pretty hard fought ways most of the time and probably deserve to win like 50% of the times they lose. And it's going to be like a hot goalie they run into. So I think the abs are going to have a good rest of the regular season. And then they head into the playoffs and that's where the real test comes because they are like many teams where it's like nothing matters until you're actually in the playoffs. And that's how this abs team really is. Like they can prove they're good again in the re- regular season. But we already know they're good. They're the cup favorites going into this season. If they were bad in the regular season, that would be shocking. Avalanche are good. is not exactly a, a eye catching headline anymore. Like no one is shocked that the avalanche are good. So what team do you think they can't, afford to play too early in the playoffs because you know how we always talk about i mean for two years we were just waiting for the colorado vegas series to happen and it ended up happening in the second round who do you what is the team that preferably the abs won't see until the conference final because it would be so difficult Mm, if i think about it uh i would say either i would say vegas has not looked great this year they historically play the abs super well like they have the abs number most nights like I, I watched a preseason game with that and I know preseason games are bullshit but I watched a preseason game and I watched how they played like it was McKinnon's first game back and I remember watching it and I was like they n- know what this team's gonna do like they just somehow are like taking away the space and like sorry you can't create any chances like oops a daisy like I was like but Vegas right now I'm not like they haven't been great. And, you know, with everyone coming back from the playoffs, it kind of probably would be easy for them to face them early right now, because it's like, you know, they could get a couple easy wins out while the roster is still falling back together. I'm actually would be worried about the flames. Yeah. The flames are the real deal, man. Like I, I need to watch them play the abs to be convinced, but they beat the abs in OT 37 seconds to OT Johnny Goudreau. And like, I worry about the flames because they play a very different style of hockey. And they also are kind of a team where it's like, they can score a lot, but their defense can shut you down and their goaltending can shut you down. And the abs don't do well when the defense is like, we will shut you down and you will not get past this. We're sorry. Like, cause it's like, it just, I, I think it just, it blow it takes the wind right out of their sails. And I think Calgary, like if you get through Calgary, you're not leaving without like, again, especially with this injury prone team, like that series is leaving with half the abs roster, like broken and bruised. Like if you make it to the Stanley cup final, it is like covered in bruises, you know, probably three of the players shouldn't even be playing, but they're going for it anyway. Like that. I think Calgary is the one that I'm really scared of. Um, if I'm an abs fan, as an abs fan, as an abs fan. This is good for yeah. my agendas. I've been saying the Flames were going to have a crazy second half because they had such a really shitty first half because everybody had COVID and they had no hockey for three weeks. But this is good for my agendas. I said the Flames would be very good this year and they very much look like the best or second best team in the West. So I feel very good about that. So the last question I have for you before we kind of open it up more big picture. What would be 
your ideal Stanley Cup final from an entertainment perspective, a funny perspective, a best hockey, whatever you want to, however you would like to answer this question. What would so, be your ideal cup final? To me, an abs, abs rider. Leafs? Yeah, abs Leafs. Yeah, to me as an to me as an to me as an abs rider Leafs fan, personally, it would be great because either way, I kind of win. Uh, I always said of like, I really want the Leafs to beat the abs in the Stanley Cup final, so I can go to a tattoo artist in Denver and be like, hey, can I get a Leafs Cup Stanley tattoo? <laughs> and like, just see like what they do. Um, this is that would be a, d- a d- dick move, but I do have a little bit of troll in me sometimes. I swear. Um, I'm really annoyed. I can be quite annoying about my team sometimes, um, as Leafs fans want to do. Uh, but no, I think I what I thought my beginning of the year, it's kind of changed a little bit since the second half of the season. But my beginning, when the beginning of the season started, it was like, I was like, Avs Panthers. That's what's going to be the Stanley Cup. I think Avs Panthers is going to be the Stanley Cup. I think potentially the funniest is like Avs rangers where the rangers are on a cinderella run like not because i think the rangers are funny i guess actually the funniest the funniest stanley cup would be like canucks versus the rangers goalie battle like it's like because if the canucks yeah. make it to the playoffs it's because of demco so it's like it's gonna just be a goalie battle and like no one really wants to watch that like no offense to the rangers or the canucks i don't want to watch that no I'm one wants to watch a goalie battle want, i don't they're not good for my heart at this point in my life. It's been five years since the Rangers have played in a playoff game that actually kind of was a real playoff game, and I don't miss that stress. That's what I'll say oh, about that. I, I was the, at Leafs, the Leafs series against Montreal last year. I was at work for every single game, except oof. for the one where JT got injured, which was fun for me to watch that on the big screen. Um, but it was, you know, I had a lot of nice men, old men from Winnipeg wishing my team luck, which was really kind of them. <laughs> like at my work, they would see me in my Leafs mask and they were like, oh, good luck to your Leafs. And I was like, well, good luck to your Jets. And then it would like, <laughs> it was a very lovely interaction I had. Um, but like, no, I think, huh. I, my ideal one obviously is as, as Leafs, but I don't really want to speak that into existence. I feel like the universe won't give it to me <laughs> if I say that. I still, I don't know. The Panthers, because Bobrovsky has dropped off, um, Panthers are one of the many teams looking for a goaltender, uh, looking for assurance in that, which they're not going to find it when you have 10 million tied up in one of your goalies. Um, like, I think they're a really good team. I think they're not as good on paper as the Az, but the style they play is really like, I don't know, their earlier season games. They were playing a very sustainable style, I thought. Yeah. Um, and then it turns out even the best team with their goalie fails behind them, they can't play for shit. So I think Az Panthers was my pick. I might stick with it. Might be Avs Tampa. I think I, my pick. My pick actually is going to be this: whoever comes out of the Atlantic versus the Avs. That's what I think the Stanley Cup Final is going to be. Okay. I. I ex- oh God, God. No, I. I don't like the Metro. Like I don't know. The Canes are good, but I just don't think they're better than Tampa or Florida. Yeah, that's reasonable. I don't think anybody in the Metro aside from Carolina is all that good. I know Pittsburgh has a little bit of buzz right now. I'm buying in on it, but until I see Tristan Yari be good in the playoffs, I will be. So skeptical of the penguins well i saw he's dropped to like 29th in the league like i saw a stats chart about him where it's like he and jack campbell have had very similar trajectories where they both were really good in the beginning which also that's my my joke i have a big joke conspiracy theory where i'm like if you look at campbell and kemper's uh goalie like maps they're mirrored so like kemper was bad and campbell was really good and then it switched and i was like i in around that time it switched kemper was in toronto and i was like Darcy Kemper stole Jack Campbell's talent. Yeah. For if you have, have you guys seen it's a Space Jam reference. I'm sorry. Yeah. Does anyone get my Space Jam reference? Or he stole his talent. 
it's fine. <laughs> but that was my joke. That's my conspiracy theory. Anyway, though, no, I don't know. I don't know if I buy into the penguins either. Honestly, I don't know why. Like, I just, I can't be convinced that they're like a true contender. And I know that's horrible. I know that they've been really good this season, but I like, I look at them and I'm like, I don't, something about you is missing to me for me to be like, that's a true contender right there. Do you know what I mean? They need one more forward because right now they're playing Kapanen with Malkin and Kapanen's been abysmal this season. So yeah. Ha ha. We got rid of him at the right time. Yes. Yes, they did. And they got a decent return. They used that, but they got a pick back for him because they had to trade a pick to Carolina to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. So yeah. Yeah. Which Lou Lamarillo got us into the <laughs> least fans who are nostalgic for Lou always make me laugh. I'm like, okay. Matt How Martin, many bad Patrick... trades are us getting out of his bad deals though? Like, we miss Matt Martin like that much? Really? Like, we do? Yeah. Okay. It's just Leafs fans who, I don't know, don't like Kyle Dubas because he's young. <laughs> like, he's young and hot and they're mad. <laughs> what are you most excited for the rest of the way in the NHL regular season? It could be about any team, any storyline, any thread. What are you most excited for the rest of the way here? Um, I honestly think who's see- seeing who's going to make that wild card spot in the West. Uh, honestly, like, okay. So we kind of chatted about it earlier. The Oilers. I want to know, because either way, if the Oilers make the playoffs, if they miss the playoffs, it is interesting. If they miss the playoffs, it's hilarious. I'm cackling in my little, which makes me sound very mean-spirited. And I promise that's not my intention with the Oilers. It's just like a a very vindicated correctness that I adore for myself. Um, uh, But also, too, I just really want Ken Holland to lose his job. And I really want, like free ryan nugent hopkins mcdavid or dry saddle like free one of them one of them needs to be freed they need to be freed like nugent hopkins how many coaches 12 he's had 12 coaches since he came to edmonton free him yeah free at least one of them like they need to be freed so i think either way either and if they make the playoffs they're playing like either the flames or the knights or maybe the abs in the first round and i think what i think an abs edmonton series is really interesting because you're kind of seeing what could have been, right? Yeah. Because the Avs are the gold standard model for an offensively dominant team. Yeah. That, that would be at least my opinion of them, right? Where it's like the Avs are a team that prove that you could have high skill and win with just high skill, that you don't need these like absolute bruisers who don't know how to play hockey or like, you know what I mean? Like they don't, yeah. you don't need that to like when you don't need to play like neutral zone clogging defense to win a hockey game. Right. Like that's what the abs are evidence of. And I think I would say Tampa is kind of evidence of that too. Like how you can make an offensive team really work. Right. Um, so I think seeing the failure of that vision in the Edmonton Oilers play the abs, which while I think it would be an obliteration of the Oilers, it would be fun to see someone who can actually keep pace with them offensively. Like the, the, the avalanche are the, one of the only teams I think you could probably like McKinnon and McDavid probably could, keep up with each other up and down the ice so like they they're like that's going to be a would be a cool matchup just to see mckinnon the the battles of the max mcdavid and mckinnon uh the those battle would be fun to watch um the flames one is what i'm rooting for though because man do i want a battle of alberta first round oh my god i want a battle of alberta first round i want it more than anything we need it. We The streets need it. It would be very good for everybody because the Flames would probably get them out of there in like five and a half games. Like I'd maybe give the Oilers one or two, but the Flames just, they're so deep. They play such a consistent style. Markstrom can they... steal the game if you need him to. They just, and they play such a, a playoff conducive style where yeah. they will just grind you into a pulp. Yes. That's what I, that's why I like the Flames a lot. And that's why I was saying they're really going to be hard against the Avs because that's like, 
not that I don't think the Avs can play playoff style, like they showed they can win in the playoffs, but they struggled against Dallas, who plays really good playoff style hockey, yeah. which like I'm like again, if I if Dallas makes the playoffs, like I don't I think they could they obviously won't be able to beat the Avs, but like I do worry about the injuries if they play like a heavy team like Dallas right out of the gate. Again, I think they can totally outplay Dallas and win, but I do worry about facing a team that intense right out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you definitely want to try and finish that first round series in five or six games. Every single one of those playoff games has the wear and tear of like three regular season games, especially against a team like Dallas, against a team like St. Louis, that is going to be annoying below the hash marks and it's going to be a lot of banging and clanging. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. St. Louis is such a, okay, like, apologize. I know they're like second in their division or whatever, but they're so meh to me. Like, I just, like, and I'm friends with multiple Blues fans, and I'm like, I cannot bring myself to care about the Blues. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I really wish I could. There's some individual guys. I mean, yeah. what's his face? Jordan Kyrou's having a nice yeah. season. Robert Thomas is finally putting it together. Butchnevich, obviously, very Billy near and Huso. dear to my heart. Yeah, Billy, Billy Huso's, Huso's having great. a great. Yeah. They're making it so Jordan Bennington's just a very expensive backup. Yeah, the, watching the Jordan Bennington down, downfall has been fun. That, that's oh, been fun. I relish in it. It is like, so I was on my, my last podcast, I was like, not to dance on anyone's grave, but like tippity tap, bitch. Like, I'm dancing. Like, here I go. Like, I just, I don't know. I think, you know what? That's going to be Ken Holland's off, like, Ken Holland's trade deadline thing. He's going he's gonna to overpay for Bennington. That, I could actually see that happening, to be honest with you. If, like, St. Louis retains, like, 25%, so his six is, like, $4 million, and they then they just, like, Koskinen. In. They like they could do that, where it's straight up one for one, and Mike Smith has one year left on his deal next year at, like, $4 million. Or they could do Koskinen, who's an expiring contract. They're, they could make the math on that work. There's definitely... I don't know which universe that happens in, but there is a universe where that trade happens, because I... I feel like the Oilers are desperate. I don't think Ken Holland will get fired after this season, but he definitely kind of feels the pressure to make the playoffs, and it's why all of his decisions have been so knee-jerk and impulsive. Like, my team was very mediocre, and we lost to a Jets team that we beat seven times in the regular season in four games. I need Duncan Keith and Cody Cece right away. Like, God, I don't know. Cody Cece, like, the, uh, why, who, like, Cody Cece's power to convince GMs he is good. That is my, what the hell? Kyle Dubas defended that man so hard while he was in Toronto. Every Leafs fan was like, get him out of here. We do, he's not good. Get him out. And Kyle Dubas is like, his underlying numbers are great. Thank you very much. Like, how has he done it? How has Cody Cece been like the hill that NHL GMs are willing to really like put their flag on? They're like, four years of Cody Cece right now. Like, there's a lot of those guys, bro. Eric Branson still hanging around the league yes. just because he's very tall. He's been traded like five times where the GM's been like, we need this guy. We're going out of our way to get Eric Branson. I mean, Lucic has been traded three times just to move that contract because it was such a bad contract. There are a lot of guys who just hang around. I mean, James Neal is riding the bus in the AHL right now because he refuses to retire and he still has a contract with the Blues. So there are plenty of guys who are more than content to just hang around and just be there. Oh, no. It's, but anyway, like, yeah, I think that's like a, a move that makes sense to me because they're like, fuck, we need a goalie. Like, here's what is available, like Biddington. And like, also, like, I just think it'd be like, the Oilers are like, how do we make ourselves the least likable team in the NHL? 
<laughs> like, how do we do it, guys? How do we make sure everyone's rooting against us? Like, you put, you have Evander Kane on your team, you put Bennington in net, who's going to cheer for you? They're going to hire Mike Babcock. No! That is how they're going that is how the Oilers are going to become the least likable team in the entire NHL. <laughs> they are going to hire Mike Babcock in the summer. That is exactly what is going to happen. Yeah, and that will be the straw that breaks McDavid's back. He will offic- He has to ask out after that. that- no, it's going the- to happen. An NHL the- team is going to hire Mike Babcock. And, every- and Pierre Lebron is going to run to go write the profile about how much he learned by coaching women's college hockey about how he's a changed person and just all of the bullshit that we saw last year when they did a soft run where like he did games on NBC where it's like Mike Babcock remember him he's likable he knows about hockey that was not my, really that was my favorite shit in the world because you had to watch Mike Babcock go like oh Spence is a really good player and I was like <laughs> you benched him you fool like, yeah. and, like it was just as a Leafs fan, he was like, oh, yeah, Spencer's really good. Like, it is, I'm trying to do his accent. I cannot do it. Like, but it's like, he's like, oh, Spencer's a good a good player. And I'm like watching him say it. And I'm like, Mike, Mike, can I call you Mike? I'm going to call you Mike. Mike, you benched him. Like, I just, like, oh. Uh. But that's another thing, too, where I'm like, I don't understand how you could have the 2020 Leafs defense and be like, you know what this team needs? Mike Babcock. The, the guy who famously got fired because he couldn't make the 2020 Leafs work. Like, he misused Tyson Berry. Tyson Berry, whose only talent... Not actually. Okay, I'm sorry, Tyson Berry. This is going to be really rude to him. But, like, his thing is he scores. Like, he's yeah. not good defensively. His only asset is that he's going to put up a ton of points. And he did not score until he was under Sheldon Keith. Like, if you're investing that much money in, in Tyson Berry... Why would you bring in Mike? Ba- like that's what always frustrated me with that. Like these like friggin' Oilers fans, like bring in Mike Babcock, and I'm like, do you not know the players on your team? Like Zach Hyman was on that Leafs team, and pro and like Mitch Marner, known friend of Connor McDavid, the player that like Babcock famously abused. Like you know what I mean? Like it's just like I'm like I feel like you think that these players don't talk to each other, or that like somehow he's gonna come to the Oilers and suddenly he'll be like oh my God, I know how to use Tyson Berry properly now. Like, what made you think that he's going to change and so that, like, somehow Barry and a defense with Barry and CeCe is going to work? Like, I just, I don't know. That was, like, my biggest thing where I was, like, literally looking at this team construction, it's not this, it's very, you know, this is my big thing, too. Oilers fans love to be like, oh, how long will Matthews tolerate this, like, in Toronto? And I'm always like, okay, well, here's the difference. In Toronto, Kyle Dubas, you can tell, has put effort into trying to build a team around Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares. Like, he's tried, and he's done a good job. Look at Bunting. Look at the defense. Like, Muzzin's, like, Muzzin obviously hasn't been great this season, but he was great before. TJ Brody, an excellent Brody's addition. very good, yeah. Labushkin, he's not been here for long, but he's one of the top defensemen in, um, in actually playing defense. So, like, again, brought in a lot, like, Kyle Dubas, Say what you will about Kyle Dubas, but he has tried to build a good team, and you can see yeah. evidence of that. What is Ken Holland done? <laughs> like that's the thing. I'm like, you like we look at the Oilers, and there's no what they haven't built. Like you know what there's I no mean? Plan. Like so it's like it, there, it's different. There's no plan. Yeah, there's no. That's plan. the thing. There is that's no plan. plan. It's try and get myself one more season to dig myself out of this hole. So I have to make more and more progressively more and more aggressive moves with each passing season because I know I'm running out of time. And that's how teams end up in the abyss. That's where you don't want to be as an NHL franchise. Well, and I have to ask, if last year wasn't the year to go all in, what is this year? (laughs) This year when they're barely making the playoffs, is this the year to go all in? 
No, it's not. There, that's the thing. It's always the half measures. It's the trying to have your cake and eat it too type thing where you don't want to give up anything, but you know you need to improve the team. I mean, he waited forever to finally fire that coach. He waited until it was absolutely untenable and like toxic in that room to get rid of the coach because they were very obviously tuning the coach out. They lost like what, like eight of 12, something like that before they finally fired him. Just it's indefensible stuff when you have two of the 10 to 15 best players in the entire league and they haven't been to pass the first round since obama was president i think was 2015 2016 yeah that when they lost to the ducks in the second round yeah so yeah the oilers very 2017 bad. i think they were and that was the maybe maybe so I trump to, was I president but yeah, like trump was president okay that's still a while ago that's five years ago it, yeah yeah trump <laughs> was president still that was a long yeah. time ago yeah don't okay. you know that these past two years have been like the longest, but also the shortest years that have ever you existed in the world? You mean it's not March 957 of 2020? Yeah. That is not March 957? Yeah. I know someone being like, oh yeah, you graduated two years ago. And I was like, I graduated two years ago. <laughs> like, I graduated June 2020. Oh, like, that's a mind melt. I'm like, oh, I'm just out of high school. I'm still just out of high school. And it's like, no, no, you've been in college a full year, queen. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a rough one for me. But yeah, no, I think the Oilers, like, there's a lot of teams that are really deluding themselves into thinking they're going to be contenders this year. And it's like, or that they're going to make the playoffs. Like, I don't know. I think the Canucks are really deluding themselves. I think they should sell high on Miller while his value is still high and get like a bunch of assets for him. Cause they can get that. Like, yeah. I think they could honestly get like a pretty good package from a contender for Miller and like Besser too. Like if you're going to trade Besser, if you're going to trade, like you should just do it. Like, I, I don't know. Canucks are like, we can't trade him. Like we're going to make a playoff push. And I'm like, maybe you do, but I don't think you do. Like, are yeah. you really better than the Stars or the Oilers? Like, are you really, though? Like, I'm not saying, like, the Stars or the Oilers are good, but are, are the Canucks better than them? Like, that's the question you have to ask. And I don't know. I think Demko is probably the best goalie. And one of the best. I don't know. Ottinger's good, but I think Demko's the best proven goalie out of those three teams. But I don't know about the team itself in front of him. So, I don't know. That's my whole thing is I just – I hope the Canucks sell at the deadline. I, I've said this in my other podcast. But also, too, like – and I feel bad for the Jets. Like, what happened to the Jets? What happened to them? Like, honest to God, what happened? Like, Alavok has been only good, not the best goalie in the league. That's the difference. That's yeah. it. He's been maybe the 12th best goalie in the league as opposed to the absolute best goalie in the league. And that drop-off on a nightly basis, it accumulates over time. I mean, if Paul Maurice walked away, who's an all-time bad getter, you know it's a bad situation. If Paul Maurice is just like, I can't fix this. Yeah, well, I like also too, they do have three of the like, I don't know if you saw this, but three of their forwards are the forward list of like the worst defensive war in the league. Yeah, Wheeler, Shifley, and Kyle Connor, pretty bad defense. Mm-hmm. I've heard bad things about their locker room too, but like, that's just speculative. They don't have any leadership anymore because Bufflin left, Truba left, and now it's just Mark Shifley saying frick instead of fuck. That's all they have. <laughs> it's Mark Shifley delivering. Del- delivering like horribly illegal hits and going like yeah. i am a man of god actually yeah. i don't believe in harming my neighbor yeah, literally literally all I right i believe in christian rap <laughs> before i get you out of here plug your podcast anything else you've been working on let the people know where they can find you on twitter all that good stuff yeah um so you can find my writing so you can find me on twitter at, at cecilia mave um, my writing has a link there, but it's on the More Than Sports Podcast Network is where my writing is. It's a sports blog, so you can go check it out. 
Um, my podcast is the Pick a Team podcast. We're at Pick a Team One, uh, Pick a Team Pod One on Twitter. Sorry, I always mess that up. Uh, but yeah, it's you know a fun time. Sometimes if you want to join into two absolutely unhinged people talking about the NHL, it's you know it's a little fun riff on the the multi tweem hockey Twitter. So we talk a lot about the Leafs, the Abs, and the Caps, but we also talk about the whole NHL. So it's fun. It's a fun time. Uh, yeah. Thank you so yeah, much for coming on. This was fun. Yeah, it was super fun. I had a great time. I was a little nervous to start, but I'm glad I got it came on. I was like, oh boy, time to have my credentials tested. <laughs> you you got the energy. You got where you're going for here. I'm just trying to get a snapshot of where every team is right before the deadline, before the stretch on the playoff start. And you gave me a good picture of where the abs are at. So yeah, this was a lot of fun. Good talk. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to hear the Leafs option. Like, I can't wait till you find a Leafs fan to do this. Bad boy. <laughs> I had Liz on um, oh. two weeks ago, last week, a week okay. and a half ago. Yeah, week and a half Good. ago before I you went on pick, vacation. You didn't pick Liz an on. unhinged one. Good. I think it would have been funnier if you had picked an unhinged one. But like, Oh, no. We had a good we there were some topics in there that kind of delved into the unhinged. We definitely <laughs> I I encompass a wide range of people on this show. I have the artsy people, I have the chaotic unhinged people, I have the analytics nerds. I try and welcome all parties to this podcast because all of those ranges of views give you a different way to think about things. That's the entire point of doing this podcast is finding people who think differently from you so you can understand how they think about things because I find that so interesting to see. Yeah. I can watch the abs, but I don't watch the abs in the same way as you do, which is why your perspective is important. Yeah, honestly, though, like I got to say, shout out to Hockey Twitter, because if it wasn't unhinged, we would not be here. (laughs) Correct. Correct. It is definitely you definitely get takes in there. Definitely hilarious. Uh, Shout out to the Rosie DeMano article that got everyone angry. (laughs) Like literally, we made made jokes about that article on our podcast for straight okay i'll let you take me off sorry <laughs> oh it's fine this always happens where i sign off and then i bring up something and go back and forth to the guest it's fine i want to thank may for stopping by today's show we will be back tomorrow dallas stars episode content keeps rolling on we've got a bruins episode scheduled for next week a red wings episode scheduled for next week trying to iron out a blue jackets and an oilers one we're making our way we're on schedule we will finish pretty close to the trade deadline i will see you guys tomorrow Thank you.